Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm here with Andrew Noble and Dr. Kelly Capick, who is a, a very special guest for us, Andrew. In what way? Well, he's not only a professor at Covenant College, author of many books, including those who have been books recognized as the best books of the year. 15 books and edited papers. And he's coming to Canada. He's coming to Waterloo Region. He's going to speak at our Christ and Culture Conference on hopeful living in an anxious age. It's a pretty timely subject, isn't it? Incredibly so. Coming out of COVID. Mental health mm. is an increasing problem. You can just, you, everyone knows it. I don't need to cite numbers to yeah. you. Everyone knows it. Well, we're talking about Kelly and he's online right now. So let's uh, bring Dr. Mm. Kelly into this uh, conversation. Hello, Dr. Kelly. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Welcome back. Um, we left off last week, and we didn't really get out of your first book, but I want to look at uh, your your second book. you got several, but these are kind of books that you're well known for. Mm. Embodied Hope, a theological meditation on pain and suffering. Mm. Did, did you have to write that? <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> it's we have not enough? a book I planned. Pain it's not and a suffering. book I wanted to write, to be honest with you. It was not on the agenda. Well, what motivated you to write that? Yeah, the um, the short answer is in 2008, my wife got cancer, and uh, we had been married for, oh, 10 years or so. Um, no, had to be longer than that. We got married in 1993, uh, but our kids were young because we were married nine years before we had kids. Uh, 2009, she was declared cancer-free. We were very thankful. It had taken a toll, and we had the scars, physical and otherwise. But we thought God was faithful and, and thankful. And then in 2010, in the summer of 2010, she called me from the side of the road. After just meeting with some pastors because of the nonprofit work she does and after the Haiti earthquake, and she said, I don't, I don't think I can drive home our stick shift. My leg's not working properly. And to make a long story short, since two th uh, summer of 2010 to this day, uh, there's never been a day she hasn't had pretty serious pain and fatigue. So she deals with chronic pain. And it took us six years to get to the Mayo Clinic and figure out these things. So... With her encouragement and God provided a grant out of nowhere with the Templeton Foundation, I ended up researching and writing this book out of that. All right. And um, what what are your thoughts? What What do you think now? <laughs> how How focused yeah. are you now on the subject? Yeah, I for me it's it's huge. Um, part of it's because I think we are. Christians and particularly kind of evangelicals uh, and others in North America, we're pretty tempted toward a plastic Christianity. Um, kind of everything's good. Everything's going to get better. Hmm. And um, for me, a uh, big part of this book is learning to lament, learning the significance of lament. Mm -hmm. And then really the, the, the heart of the book kind of does these movements of, on the one hand, learning to be more honest about the brokenness and learning to lament. Uh, and, and the importance of our bodies and taking seriously things like bodily and relational pain. But then the second movement is actually a long extended meditation on Jesus. And we all believe in Jesus. We know he died. But one of the things I'm interested in is, yeah, but why do you live? Why does his life, why does his physical body matter? Why does a physical bodily resurrection matter? How does this speak into what are Jesus' words on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is that actually such a comfort? And then the final section of the book is thinking about, the body of Christ and how we need each other in the midst of our pain and suffering. So that's, that's kind of part of it. So what, what do you think the intent um, that God has for us when we go through pain and suffering? I mean, I know there's a, a textbook answer to that, but mm. in your deep dive, have you, have you got a, a better answer? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, people often quote from Romans, you know, God works all things for good to those who love yeah. Him. And uh, as you probably know, strain, and I know this sounds terrible to say about the Bible, but that's a verse that you probably shouldn't speak to someone often right when they're in the midst of things. It's something you can pray. It's mm-hmm. something you cling to. Um, but but people, if they're honest with you, that, that is often like poking them when they're hurt. And... Um, so the deep end, I know, you know, there is this answer and it's true in the end, God will make all things right. But there's also the answer. And, um, I have a very high view of the sovereignty of God, but within the sovereignty of God, it's also appropriate to say things happen that God doesn't like. Hmm. And that surprises sometimes because we're like, no, we believe in the sovereignty of God, which I really do. For those in your audience may, who know about this, I'm, I'm a Reformed theologian. I'm from a tradition that values the sovereignty of God. And yet, you can't read Genesis to Revelation without seeing there's all kinds of things that God's like, hey, that's bad. Don't do that. What's can't, you know, there are conflict. So you have to affirm the sovereignty of God and be able to say, he doesn't think everything that's happening is great. Hmm. And I think we get confused. We either compromise the sovereignty of God, and God's like, wow, I don't, mm-hmm. you know. Or we compromise and we actually start to downplay just how broken the world is. And we need to speak the truth about God's goodness and his presence, but also just the badness and brokenness of this world. Do you think that there is a a link between how Christians, or anyone for that matter, uh, mishandles their suffering and whatever we mean by mental illness? Hmm. Does one have to lead to the yeah. other? Does it or? I, yeah, I would want to be very careful kind of um, navigating that one. But I would say it's very difficult and it's often dangerous to try and say this physical problem led to this spiritual one or this spiritual one led to this physical one. So I want to be very careful. But actually, in light of the carefulness, I will just say generally there's not a lot of doubt biblically, theologically, and experientially that the two are profoundly interrelated, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know a counselor, for example, when he's, when he's dealing with folks, this is just a simple example, who are in deep crisis, and you ask, how much sleep have you had? You know, and it's like, well, I've, I sleep about two or three hours a night. We're like, well, here, we have to start by getting you sleep. Because it's tempting as Christians, we're like, let's talk about sin, or let's talk about what's making you anxious. But listen, until you get some sleep, yeah. none of that actually matters, right? right. Your body really matters. There, so anyways, trying to think through that, like these things are all interrelated. Similarly, under spiritual attack, it often has bodily manifestations, right? We start to feel it. It, it hits our relationship. So I, I wouldn't want to... So carefully say this is because of that, but yeah. I do want us to admit there are connections, even if we can't unwind them. Our our conference has to do with uh, mental health, which mm. is kind of a it catches everything that term today. I one in five Canadians apparently have mm. mental health problems. So by some definition of that word, um, you are a, a spiritual person. I use that in the theological sense. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're quickened. You're made alive. You recognize that there is a spiritual mm. aspect. Um, is mental health spiritual? How, how do we as um, practitioners look at mental health, being aware of, of spirituality and spiritual health? 
Is there a connection between the two? Are we dealing with one while dealing with the other at the same time? Yeah, I do. I do think we're constantly dealing with them both at the same time. Um, and the problem is when we become overly reductive to one or the other. So sometimes well-meaning Christians try and answer someone who's dealing with, they could be dealing with multiple personality disorder and a well-meaning Christian just keeps giving them Bible verses. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, 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 we, we need, we need more here. We need some expertise. On the other hand, sometimes there's a, an unwillingness from sometimes to go, is there any spiritual dimensions here that are happening? And, and it is worth, you know, properly, gently, carefully, pastorally exploring those things. Um, sometimes there's deep wounds and sins or hurt, things that have been done to you. And until you get there, mm-hmm. um, it does get very hard to really believe in the love of Christ. Hmm. When someone's like, I, I haven't, I've cared for people who are suffering and um, through miscarriages, um, I've experienced that type of suffering. And I've mm. understood the theology. And then when you're actually in it, sometimes... Mm the theology is still there. Like I don't doubt the existence of God in the midst of it, right. but the process of the suffering, how do you do that? Like what's the, what's the, you know, from A to Z of suffering we can't do on this podcast, but how, how, if people are suffering right now, listening to this, yeah. how should they think about it? Um, thank you for sharing that. I use a phrase earlier, but honesty with God. I mean, part of what's remarkable about the psalm is roughly 40% of the psalter of the psalms are lament. Mm-hmm. And the psalms have all of these, like, where are you, God? Yeah. Why, God? You have a phrase like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're in a prayer group and one of the people in your prayer group says, my God, my God, I, oh, why, why have you forsaken me? We're like, well, we need to talk to them afterwards. Right. Really, that's in the psalmist. And then we all know yeah. Jesus on the cross praised that yeah. very lament, right? <laughs> so part of the remarkable fact is that God in Christ by the Spirit enters into our lament. And we, it, you know, this, this actually, I've become more and more convinced this, this betrays the fact of a hidden kind of salvation by works kind of thing, or, or, or just like, we think we got to get ourselves right before God. So I'll hear sometimes people say, well, you can, you can express some things to God, but you can't be angry with God. And I understand why people say that. But I, when I read the Psalms at times, I'm like, I don't, you may not want to use the word anger, but they're being pretty brutally honest with God. And here's what I mean by the subtle part. If you don't think you can be angry or really just say what you're feeling to God, you know what ends up happening? It's like, I need to clean myself up first. And mm-hmm. once I'm clean enough, then I can go to God. And the gospel is the exact opposite. The gospel is we go to God with all of our garbage. And as we go to him, he absorbs and changes us. Mm-hmm. Right? He, we go to him with our complaints, with our frustrations, with our deep worries and doubts and fears. And he embraces us with that, with that embrace that as you weep and mourn, you eventually get calm, right? And there's a reason why laments often have praise in them. Um, and it's because you don't, you don't need to start out by saying, I'm going to praise God at the end of this. It's amazing how often, even experientially, if you let yourself be really honest with God, don't be surprised if all sudden praises start to come from your lips because you finally feel known and loved. Mm. 
you feel heard. But most of the time, even in our Christian circles, we don't, we're not really sure God knows us or can handle it. It's interesting. Uh, our, my partner, Dave Barker, is a professor of Old Testament and Psalms, and lament is a big thing with mm. him. And uh, he'll be speaking to that in, in something else at our church later. But um, do you think that there's a place for that in the gathering uh, of, the, of God's oh, people, yeah. like lament um, at maybe some national crisis or even just in, in terms of uh, working through Scripture? Uh, would that mm. be therapeutic or would that be something that would be more private and personal? Great question. I think one of the reasons we're having the kind of crises we are is the church has neglected corporate lament. Um, so many of the laments in the Psalter are corporate. So they are mm-hmm. for the community. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we struggle. We're like, well, why would I lament if I don't have anything right. sad or whatever? I'm feeling but good. Actually, yeah, I feel good. But actually, we do that all the time. It's just sim- sometimes we praise God when we don't feel like praising. And in the act of praising, we start to actually praise God, right? Mm-hmm. But by practicing the songs of lament and even the prayers of lament on a regular basis, we we develop the muscles to help when actual crisis and pain comes and betrayal comes. And part of what we're dealing with is even in the church, our muscles for lament have atrophied. So when difficulties come, you know, I work in America, the American dream is more driving our church often than the gospel. So when the American dream's not working out and we don't have the muscles of lament, we're ill-equipped and and it creates some of the crises we're dealing with. So would uh, lament be like a therapy for people? Like, is it catharsis? Is that what we're talking about? Or is it more than that? I do think it's more than that because it's not just psychology. It's, it's actually part of the reason why you express your anger, if it's anger or disappointment or whatever to God is God is wonderful because he's sympathetic. We have a sympathetic high priest, in yes. Christ, but he's not just sympathetic. He actually can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Unlike anyone else. <laughs> Well, Kelly, I want to thank you for being on our, our podcast. Uh, we mm. are really looking and forward fun. to having you. Andrew, what are the details on the Christ and Culture Conference again? April 28th and 29th, Friday, Saturday. you, you got to sign up now with grandview.ca, and then you'll see the link under Outreach. Christ and, and the, Culture. The or name, just Google search Christ and Culture Grandview. You'll what's find the it. name of the particular conference? Hopeful Living in an Anxious Age. I can't think of a more relevant topic for this time. So Dr. Thank you for joining with us. We're looking forward to seeing you live and in person at our conference. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, friend. Take care.